But I'm excited today, like I said, to dive into week three of this conversation called Silent Nights. So, Silent Nights, we're obviously playing on the song, the popular song that you'll hear around Christmas. And this isn't a song that's just... If, it, like, it, you don't know it if you've just been a church person, right? Some songs in church we sing and we kind of get to the space where it's just worship music. Like, people don't know it. But this is a song that you would know. Like, many people know this song. They've sung this song. Even when you see uh, non-Christian groups or singing people, like, they, they'll sing this song, right? They'll add it to their um, album and they'll sing it at Christmas time. And so we've played on that a little bit. And the question we asked two weeks ago was this. What is your relationship with silence? And we all have a different relationship with silence in different ways at different times in life, right? Some of you, I made this joke a while ago, but some of you, you need silence to sleep, right? You have to have it silent. It has to be quiet. You can't have any other noise going on. Some of us need the noise, right? We need the sound machine, the fan, whatever it is to be able to sleep. And sometimes silence can be a really, really good thing. If you're on vacation and you're sitting on a beach somewhere and no one's bothering you, work is not emailing you, no one's coming to ask you questions, that silence is good, right? You get in your car, you put your key in the ignition and you turn it and there's silence, that silence is bad. And so sometimes we have silence that shows up and it's really good and we have silence that shows up and it's really bad. And depending on the day, depending on the circumstance, your relationship with silence can be different. And the same is true when we think about our relationship with God. When he starts to or doesn't start to communicate with us or interact with us the way that we feel he should or we hope he should, we have to process that. And there's times in life where maybe we have, you know, in our relationship with God, we see him doing things and he answers the prayer and he shows up and he does the thing. And we're like, this is great. And then there's other times where we pray and pray and pray or we try and try and try or we ask God and we ask him or whatever. And and it doesn't happen. And we, we want to ask the question, like, where is God? What's he doing? Why is this this way? How do I understand what this silence means? And so we process that in our relationship with God. Where is he when he's not doing exactly what we thought he would do or what we thought he should do? And so we talked about this, too. At one point, God was silent for 400 years. And so when we look at the Old Testament, the first section of the Bible— and then we go to the New Testament, the second section of the Bible, right? The first section was, was Abraham and Moses and David and the prophets and all those guys. And God does a ton of stuff and he's building the nation of Israel and making all these promises and things. And then you hit Malachi and, and things stop. There's not no scripture there because just people forgot to write things. It's because God just stopped interacting with people the way he had before. And so then all of a sudden we fast forward to the New Testament, the beginning, and Pastor Andrew talked about last week how when John the Baptist or John the Baptizer shows up on the scene, that's kind of God breaking that silence. And so there's a 400-year gap there where God interacts differently. And he had made all these promises years before, and then all of a sudden he stops communicating the same way, and then we jump into the New Testament and Jesus breaks that silence, but we can see how God in different ways at different times will interact with us in different ways. And we have to process what that means. And we find ourselves in those moments where silence might be the reality. What do we do with that? And how do we learn from the scriptures on how people in scripture interacted with that? And so we're going to go to Luke chapter two, 
um, this week, but we're going to skip over the actual regular Christmas story, okay? So next week, when we're at Christmas Eve, we'll do more of the traditional Christmas story, but this week, we're going to actually skip past that a little bit, okay? So we're past the travel to, to Bethlehem. We're past baby Jesus being born in the manger, okay? So we're moving a little bit past that. We're going to be in Luke 2, and we're going to start in verses 21 and 22. Um, as always, the verses will be on the screen for us, but you can always also uh, take the little QR code on the back of the, the Next Steps card, or it's on the screen there for you. Scan that. It'll take you to our follow-along. You'll get all the verses, all the notes. You can ask a question, submit a prayer request, all that good stuff. So Luke 2, verses 21 and 22 says this, eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. Then it was time for their purification offering, as required by the law of Moses, after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Verses 23 and 24. The law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves and a partridge in a pear tree. Just kidding. I was seeing who was listening there. See, figure it out. Like, I don't know. I was reading this this week, and I was like, I don't know if that's where that came from. Like, the two turtle doves. I don't know if this song, if this is where they get from. Anyway, it's not a partridge in a pear tree. It's a pair of two young pigeons, okay? So, turtle doves or pigeons. So, here's what's happening here. I'll give you, like, kind of the, the uh, catch us up to speed. So, baby Jesus is born, and then they've got to go through the process of doing all the law that they had to do after having the baby. So eight days later, he's circumcised and he is named. And then 40 days later, Mary has to offer a sacrifice because she just had a baby. So there's a purification sacrifice that happens there. And part of that is also that because he was the firstborn and he was a son dedicated to the Lord. Now, this is something that we don't always pay attention to anymore, but it is interesting if you think about the people that we know who are in ministry, where they were born in their birth order. And where they find themselves uh, when it comes to being called into ministry, and who now it doesn't have it's not a hard and fast rule, but in interesting cases, I can think of guys that I know, and I think of the guys that are in ministry. Where do they fall in that? They're a lot of times the firstborn son, and so it's just interesting how this process is out. But this is Mary and Joseph having to go through the process of just having a baby and kind of figuring this out. Just to kind of like realize where we're at too, this has been about a year for Mary and Joseph. It was about a year before this that they get the information from the angels that there's going to be a baby. So they've gone through, right, this whole thing where we know there's going to be a baby and then that process is going and Mary starts to show and then they finally have the baby and now they've got to do all. This has to have been like, I don't know if they sat back and looked at each other, but like what a year this has been, right? This is just crazy. This is not where we thought we would be. And so they're still going through all of this process. And as we go through this process, there's two characters I want to introduce us to. These characters don't get a ton of face time when it comes to the Christmas story, partially because there's not very much information about them, but also partially because they're after all of the birth stuff. So like we read the Christmas story and we kind of like, okay, baby Jesus is born. We kind of stop there. But there's some very cool stuff that happens just after as Mary and Joseph are continuing on this path of doing the things they are called to do as parents. So verses 25 and 26 say this, at that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was a righteous, he was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and he, and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. 
That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, verses 29 to 32, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace. As you have promised, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal good to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. So we meet this guy named Simeon. Don't have a lot of information about him, but we know he was there. And he had been, we, we don't know how old he was, but we would assume he was a little more advanced in years. So he would have been part of the conversation where he would have looked back at history and seen the 400 years, or maybe 350 when he was born, or, or maybe a little bit more than that, or less than that, of understanding that God had made these promises and then not shown up for all this time. So he understood this promise. He, he, he knew what, what, what the word was from Isaiah and all of that. And then at some point, the Holy Spirit shows up to him. We don't know how. We don't know when. And, and lets him know that he will not die before he meets the Messiah. And so he gets this opportunity to kind of understand this. And he's, he's waiting in two different ways. He's waiting because he's looking back, thinking about the promises God has made. And he's also waiting for the promise that God had made to him. And so at some point in there, there's some waiting that happens for him where he's understanding that God has made these promises, but they haven't come to fruition. They haven't shown up in his context yet. And at some point, God was silent in that. He makes the promise, and then he steps aside and, and lets stuff play out. And here's, here's what I know can be true, right? Silence will test your patience. Silence will test your patience. You are expecting something to happen and you think it's going to happen, and it should happen, and it doesn't. Maybe you're waiting on a boss to give you the bonus you're supposed to have, or, or the promotion that's supposed to come to you, and you get silence. It's frustrating. Maybe you're in a relationship with somebody, and they were talking to you and engaging with you and everything, and then all of a sudden, they're not talking to you, and it's silent. That's frustrating. I told you, we're dealing with insurance people. I don't want to talk about it a lot, but they're being silent. It's frustrating, right? There's times where silence will test your patience and you wonder what's going on. When we think about that, just think about it for a minute, right? God made a promise and didn't keep it for 400 years. How would you feel about somebody not keeping their promise for 400 years? It's a long time. And so in silence, we can test our, it will test our patience. And so my question to us as we think about this is, what is your posture of waiting? What's your posture of waiting? You know, we find ourselves at different times just needing to wait, whether it's uh, you're at a doctor's appointment and they're behind. And so you've got to wait. You've got to figure it out. You have a problem with your car. Um, I remember one time Becca and I were on vacation. We had left the kids with the grandparents for a little while. We were going to do something, and I, we blew a tire. So we ended up in a garage getting a new tire in Florida, not planned. Like, that was not the best situation on vacation to find ourselves in, right? And so we're just sitting there, and we're waiting. And what do you do when you wait? Maybe you're someone who likes to pace back and forth. You're going to go, right? Maybe you're someone who will sit, but you'll like bounce your knee, right? Because you're worried about what's going on or you're thinking about it. What's our posture of waiting? I remember listening to somebody speak about this a while ago, and he said he remembered. Because now when we're in a waiting room, what do we do? We just pull this out, right? And we get on it. We surf. We do play a game, you, whatever. But he was like, I, he remembered back when there, he didn't have a smartphone, and he had to just like count ceiling tiles, and you just sat there and kind of, or whatever. I don't even know if doctor's offices, dentist's offices, do they even have like magazine racks anymore? I don't know because I've never looked at them because I have my phone, right? So we would do these things. And I remember as a kid 
one of the things that I would do, especially on long car rides, um, is when the Game Boy finally came out, I would play Game Boy. The problem with Game Boy was uh, when it first came out, there was no backlit screen. So I remember like if it got dark out, I would hold it up like this because the car behind me would then shine light on the screen so that I could see what was going on, right? See, I lived in the dark ages too. It was rough back then with the Game Boys that didn't have a backlit screen. So we would do these things to wait. And what is our posture wait? Some of us are a little more patient than others. Some of us just have a longer fuse. And we can be a little more patient. We're a little more positive. Some of us, we're not built that way. We're a little more impatient. We want things to happen. And so what is our posture of waiting? And when we think about the way that Simeon waited, it says that he eagerly waited. And I think there's a difference. I want to put two, two kind of ideas at odds with each other, right? We can do this, right? We can be eagerly waiting or we can be impatiently expecting. We can be eagerly waiting or impatiently expecting. Here's the difference. We always know Christmas is coming on the 25th of December. Now, we can eagerly wait for that because you can set your calendar by. If you're a Christmas person, you love it. You know how many days there are. You know when Christmas is going to be here. No one's changing that, right? It's going to happen, and we know that it's going to happen when it's going to happen. Here's the opposite. You ordered something for somebody for Christmas, and you've got no tracking to to know where it's at, and you don't know when it's going to be here. All of a sudden, that turns into impatient expecting because you need it to be here. You paid for it to be here. You need it as a gift for somebody, but you don't know when it's coming. And so now there's this impatience because you don't know what's going on. You don't know how to process it. What do we need to happen? And so eagerly waiting versus impatiently expecting. So what's your posture? What's your natural go-to? Are you someone that waits eagerly, you trust the process, you understand that this is going to happen, or are you someone that's impatiently expecting? And it's easy to fall into the second one, right? It's easy to say, I I wish this was faster, I wish this would happen. But when we look at Simeon, as he waited and as he processed, he was eagerly waiting. He trusted that God was going to show up, even though maybe it seemed like God had been silent for a really long time. You know, at some point you think about, when, when the Holy Spirit made this promise to him, oh yeah, you're going to meet the Messiah. The cynical part of me would have looked back at the Holy Spirit or however this situation happened, right? And went, God has been silent for over 300 years. Why should I believe this is going to happen for me? Right? This hasn't happened for anybody before. Now all of a sudden I'm, I'm the person it's going to happen to? Right? Like we, we get into this point of, are we going to be eagerly waiting, expecting God to do what he's going to do? Or are we going to be impatient and expecting something to happen that maybe we think should happen. You know, one of the cool things is he, Simeon keeps going, and he actually gives a bit of prophecy. In verses 33 to 34, it says this, Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He is... He has been sent as a sign from God, but Mary will, many will oppose him. Verse 35, as a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. And Simeon gives us that great stuff. Like he says really good things about Jesus to start, right? And Mary and Joseph, it says that they, they were excited about this. And, and I think this is interesting. You, you might look at this, or I might look at this, and read it and go, well, of course he's saying good things. This is the Messiah, Mary and Joseph. You were told this is the Messiah. But think about all the things that maybe people said to them along this path. 
Like they get to the point where Mary, okay, Mary's going to have a baby. Joseph is on board. They understand it. And then somewhere along the line, Mary starts to show. And it's like, clearly she's pregnant. Someone goes to Joseph. Joseph, what's happening? Right? Didn't you know this? And Joseph just goes, yeah. Like, well, what did you do? He's like, I didn't do anything. Like, then what happens? Like, oh, it's God's baby. Yeah, right, Joseph. Who believes that? Right? You and I wouldn't believe that either. So all along this way, people don't believe them. In fact, we know after Jesus was born, there were people that still would say he was an illegitimate child. So there were still people after he's born, after he's a full-grown man, that people would say this was not real. Like they've lied about this the whole way. And yet they get to this point where they meet Simeon and Simeon starts to say these really amazing things. And all of a sudden it's this weight off of Mary and Joseph's shoulders. That there's somebody else in on the secret with them. There's somebody else that's affirming what's going on. And then he turns a little bit. And he says he will cause many to rise, but also many to fall. And he's a, he's a sign sent by God, but that the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your very soul, right? Well, he says that to Mary. Why? Because how would you feel if your only son, well, not only son, your, your firstborn son would be killed for something they didn't do, and you would watch it. Here's what we know. Simeon's prophecy was true then. It's still true today. That Jesus will set people at odds with one another. That certain people will look at Jesus, and they'll grab onto Jesus, and, and he's our hope, and he's the thing that we, we will pursue more than anyone. And there's other people that look at Jesus and say, I want nothing to do with him. I don't believe it. And so we see this, and and Simeon says it's going to set people at odds. Many people will rise, many people will fall. And the same thing is true today. And so Simeon gets to be the bearer of excitement for Mary and Joseph, but also says, hey, this this is going to be a rough road. This isn't going to be everybody's on board and, and loving this, but it's going to be a difficult thing at times. The second person I want to introduce us to comes along in verse 36, and her name is Anna. It says this in verse 36, Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phenuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Verse 37, then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. Verse 38, she came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. And so we get Anna. Again, she gets about three verses. That's it. She had a hard time in life. But what did she do? She turns and she shows up at the temple. She spends her time worshiping and fasting every day. This is what she does. And even in the midst of life not quite going the way that she really wanted it to go. She's there at the temple every single day and being faithful. You know, everybody that we see in this story, in this little little moment, right? This is all, some of it's a little bit further away. We get a little bit of the history of the eighth day and everything, but then we get this interaction that's all just within hours of each other. Every adult in this conversation, which is interesting to not refer to the God of the universe as an adult in this story, but every adult in this situation shows some sort of faithfulness. And I would say this, that faithfulness is a sign of righteousness. And even Jesus, even though he's a baby in this story, he showed showed faithfulness just simply coming to die for the people that are now taking care of him and dying for you and I. But faithfulness 
is a sign of righteousness. When we, what does that mean? When we decide that we're going to be faithful, even in the midst of negative circumstances or even just regular circumstances, it's a sign of righteousness that we've chosen to follow and worship God. And so how does this work out? Well, Mary and Joseph faithfully followed the law in obedience to God. They have Jesus, and then they go through all of the things that they need to go through in accordance with the law. They continue to be obedient to God. We might gloss over this, but think about this for a second, right? Mary and Joseph, you know, they get a few months into Mary being pregnant. They're on board with each other, and they're just kind of hanging out. What would you start to talk about if you were the parents who got chosen to bring the Savior of the world into existence as a human? You'd start to think about other couples. You, I, I would do this. I'll just be honest, right? I would think about other couples and be like, well, he picked us instead of them. It's got to say something for us, right? We might be pretty good parents. This is great. You know, we start, start thinking about and like, what, what happens when you start to maybe find yourself in a situation where you've got the VIP access or you know someone who knows someone and you kind of get the next level? Maybe you start to think, oh, those rules don't apply to me. I don't need to worry about this. I don't need to, you know, worry about the same stipulations as other people because I've got the in. I mean, if people were going to have the in with God, Mary and Joseph had it. And yet, what do they do? They go and they do all of the things they're called to do in accordance with the law, which this one's kind of funny. They have to go and they have to dedicate the Messiah to the Lord. Don't you, I mean, if it was me, I think, I think we've already, he's already dedicated, right? He's literally God. Like, why do we have to dedicate him? And yet, Mary and Joseph are just like, nope, still going to do it. We're on board. We're going to go. And they faithfully continue to follow the law in obedience to God. And I think this gives us a picture as to why God chose Mary and Joseph. It's not because they were parenting gurus. It's because they were faithfully obedient to God. And they continued to be through the pregnancy, through Jesus being born, and even after. They just continued to honor God with the way they raised him and even doing things that we might at times, or maybe even they, thought were a little bit over the top. They just faithfully were obedient. And, and I would just say to those of us who are parents, this is the secret. Like, it's not the books you read. It's not all the stuff. I mean, those are helpful, right? But if we're followers of Jesus, this is the idea faithfully being obedient to the Lord ourselves. We'll teach our children to do the same thing. That's what we're called to do. So when we look at Mary and Joseph at Christmas, we, we see them as they go through the whole birth. But think about this story. What did they continue to do? They continued to be obedient to the law of God. And when we do that, our kids learn that as well. Simeon, how was he faithful? Simeon faithfully believed God would keep his promise. You know, when you get, a, you get a promise like you're going to meet the Messiah before you die, I think that's a pretty hard promise to keep. Maybe he wasn't shouting it from the rooftops. Maybe he wasn't going and telling everybody and bragging about it. But I would assume there were some close friends that he told about this. And you wonder what those close friends said. Oh, you think he's going to show up for you. He hasn't shown up in over 300 years, but, but he's going to show up for you. Right? He's going to be, you, you really believe this? And like, we don't know how, like I said, we have no idea how old Simeon was. We think he was a little bit older, but we don't know when God made this promise. What if he was 80 years old and he made this promise to him when he was 30? So now you're 50 years in, maybe you've got a buddy you told 50 years ago, hey, the Messiah is going to appear before I die. Like your friend comes up to you one day, like, hey, we're kind of running out of time here, aren't we? Like, when's he going to show up? Like, let's figure this out. 
What's going on? How do I know? He believes faithfully that God is going to keep his promise beyond just the 400 years, beyond just his life, but he continues to be faithful. And he was waiting eagerly, knowing that God was going to show up and keep his promise. And then we see Anna. Anna faithfully continued to worship God even in her pain and loneliness. The few verses we get, right? She was married for seven years, and that was it. She had an idea, as we all do when we set off in life. Here's what we want to do. Here's the goals we want to set. Here's what we want to experience, right? And her thought process was probably want to be married for a while, have kids, whatever that looks like, right? Seven years in, she loses her husband. She's a widow till she's 84. But what does she do? She continually shows up. I've said this before. I'll say it again. It says something about our relationship with God when we go through hard things. Do we run to him or do we run from him? And Anna ran to him every day. She said, I, th- my life just changed. I'm just going to go worship God every single day. And because she did, she got to meet the Messiah too. God didn't make that promise to Anna. Not that we know of. We know he did to Simeon. We didn't know for Anna. But because she showed up faithfully every day and she continued to worship, even through her difficulty and her loneliness, all of it, she got to meet the Messiah too. And her faithfulness helped her see God in a different way. And I would say it this way, that when God seems silent, our faithfulness is our worship. When we don't know what God's doing, and he seems to not show up the ways that we think he's going to show up, when we do show up and we are continually faithful to him, it's an act of worship. And there are times, let's just be honest with ourselves, there are times it's like, ah, don't really feel like worshiping today, right? Don't really feel like getting up, don't really feel like doing the thing, don't really feel like reading, don't really feel like praying. I get it. Like, we're, we're all there at different times during the week. It's every week or it's every day, whatever it is. Like, if we're just being honest, it just happens. And yet, in the midst of those moments, like, we celebrate the big moments. It's great when God does something crazy cool and we get to celebrate that. It's fantastic. And we should worship him in those moments. But really worshiping shows up when it's just like everyday stuff or things are difficult and we are willing to just go, you know what? I'm still going to worship God. I'm still going to show up. I'm still going to be faithful. It's not a matter of whether the circumstances I'm going through are right or wrong or whatever. It's this idea that no matter the circumstances, Jesus is worth worth serving, worth worshiping. And in those moments, we find ourselves truly worshiping because it's not just about the spiritual high we're on or when things are going well, but that we show up and we do this. Those of us who are married know this. Like we go through marriage and there are days that are fantastic. And even if it's not like a special day, it's not an anniversary, it's not whatever, you just go, today was a great day and I love being with you and all stuff. And then there are other days that are just frustrating. And when you get mad at each other and somebody does something like this and then you get upset and hard day at work or whatever, right? There's just those days where it's really good and there's other days where it's really frustrating. And the question is, do we stick it out on the difficult days? Are we still going to say, I choose you on the difficult day? That's the answer. And so God uses that picture of marriage a lot in Scripture because our relationship with him is the same in a lot of ways. It's not just going to be good days. It's not just going to be the exciting stuff. It's going to be the days where stuff is difficult, and are we still willing to be faithful to him? And as we think about Simeon and Anna in this passage, we, you know, when we look at Simeon, we might think, 
God didn't make a promise to me like he did to Simeon. God didn't make a promise to us, and we know he's not going to make a promise to us. Before you die, Jesus is coming back. If someone says God made that promise to them, they are wrong. Okay, Scripture tells us the opposite, so don't ever believe that. But we don't get those promises. So we might come into this and think, well, I don't have that kind of promise, so how does this apply? But we, we are much in the same situation as Simeon and Anna in some certain ways. Uh, I want to look at Romans 8 for just a minute. And Paul tells us, I just want to look at verses 23 and 24. Paul says this, it says, And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us, as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as adopted children including the new bodies he has promised us. Verse 24, we were given this hope when we were saved. And he says, if we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. That word eagerly shows up in that passage too. So we eagerly wait. We eagerly hope, just like Simeon. And Paul says, we've received something already. We've received the gift of Jesus. Like, we have the gift of salvation. That is a very real gift. We have the Holy Spirit. All of that is a very real thing that happens, and we have it. But we're also waiting. Because when we get saved, we we meet Jesus, we get the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean our bodies stop feeling the impact of sin. It doesn't mean the world around us stops feeling the impact of sin. It doesn't mean our relationships stop feeling the impact of sin. So, we wait eagerly for the day when all of that stuff will come true. Because the promise is when we enter eternity with him, all of that stuff we better, right? No more sickness, no more tears, no more striving, no more war, none of it. Like, all of it will be at peace. And so we too wait for something that is on the horizon. And we wait like Simeon. How? Impatiently expecting? No. Eagerly waiting. And I would say this, that following Jesus is a life of faithful obedience and eagerly waiting. We're called to obey God. That's what we're called to do every day, faithfully showing up, faithfully worshiping, faithfully living our lives as his followers, and also eagerly waiting for, the, for what's coming. This is, this is not super exciting. Just obey faithfully and be patient. Okay, right? Good talk. Not the most exciting thing about being a follower of Jesus. But this is what the every day looks like. We know some of these days are going to be a lot easier than others. Some of the days are going to be a lot harder than others. But we have to be in this zone of I'm going to be faithful, I'm going to be obedient, and I'm eagerly going to wait for what God has for us. But here's what happens. Too often our impatience derails our faithfulness. Too often we look at what God is doing or how he's doing it or what it, you know, we look at this and we go, God's not doing what I thought he would do. God's not doing what I, what I expected him to do. This, this plan that I had that I even felt like God was calling me to is not turning out the way that I thought. And in, in turn, what happens is we look at God and we say, why even wait for him? If he's not going to do it this way, why would I pursue him? If he's not going to show up in this way, is it even worth showing up for him? And again, we have to go back to God was 
quiet or different for 400 years. But we know when he showed up on the scene, it was the perfect time. So when God asks us to wait or he is quiet or he makes a promise and doesn't fulfill it yet, we wait and we are obedient and we are faithful and we will see him fulfill this promise. And I think part of the challenge that comes with this is when we pray, when we talk to God, we can get very focused on, God, will you fix the problem? There were a lot of people that wanted, and we know this from looking at our study of Luke and Jesus uh, this past year, they just wanted Jesus to show up and fix the problem. What was the problem? The Roman Empire. Can you get the Romans out of here? Is he going to take care of that? Right? And from the beginning, you look at this and you go, and God sent a baby to fix the problem. Right? That's kind of a different thought than most people would have had. But he wasn't there to just fix the problem. He was there to rescue people at the right time. And he was there to show up in only the way God could show up. And when we get fixated on, God, will you just fix my problem? That's such a smaller prayer than will you show up in only the way you can show up in this situation. It's such a different conversation. And I think this is the conversation that Simeon was having. And as he walked through life waiting for God to be present and God to show up in this way, he wasn't just asking for God to fix the problem. He was asking God to show up in a way that only he could show up. He was asking for God to show him the Messiah. And it says the Spirit led him to the temple that day. We don't know what that looked like. Like, Did he know this was the day that like, he was going to meet the Messiah? We don't know. But for whatever reason, that day he decided, I'm going I'm to go. And maybe he had gone before thinking, maybe this is the day, maybe this is the day, maybe this is the day. But he, he wanted God to show up in only the way he could show up. You know, as we, as we go through life, I, there are things in life, I think each of us would have a different set of things we want to experience or do or go, places we want to go, before we die, right? We have things that we, we would love to experience, whether it's in our marriage or whether it's in our relationships or it's in our work or whatever. We want to reach a certain plateau in certain areas or there are certain areas of the world that we would say we want to go visit and we want to see this thing or experience this culture before before we die. And we would call that a bucket list, right? There's things that we would say if we knew we were going to die at some point, we would want to get all those things done first. And there's nothing wrong with those lists. But I think sometimes those lists are, are too small. They're too easy. And when we think about this, I, I would ask us to think about our lives differently. And I, I would say we should ask this question, what is our Simeon moment? Simeon got to the point where when he held Jesus, what did he say? I can go now. I've seen the promise God gave to me, and I am now fulfilled. My question to us would be, what is your Simeon moment? It's not a bucket list, right? If our bucket list is, I would love to go to Europe, you can find a way to do that. Save up your money, get on a plane, you can go to Europe. A Simeon moment is something only God can do. What would we pray for that only God could do? And if he shows up and does that thing, then we would look back and say, I have seen God's faithfulness to me, and I can go. It's so different. And when we change our prayers from God fix my problems to God show up in only a way you can show up, it's not about us anymore. 
It's about what God can do in that situation. I don't think many people would have simply, like when God made the promise, you know, years and years before Jesus was actually born, I don't think many people would have prayed that God would fix the problem by waiting for over 400 years and then sending a baby into the situation. I don't think that was realistically what they thought. In fact, when they heard Isaiah talk about and others talk about the prophecy of this baby, they would have been like, all right, cool, next week, right? This baby, even if it's a baby, like we're going to show up next week, like maybe next year, that would be great, right? But God didn't show up that way. And we know this is true. This is a little bit cliche to say, but I just want to say it to remind us, right? God's timing isn't always fast, but it's always perfect. We know how fast we want things to show up. We know how quickly we want things to happen. We know how we want God to show up in our lives. And sometimes he takes a long time to do it. But he's not just there to fix the problem. He's there to be God in the situation. And so when something is coming that we need or something's going on that we need help with or when we're tempted to pray for the problem, we should pray for God to be God in that situation only way he can. And it opens it up to be something even more amazing than we'd ever think or imagine. And I've said this before. When people come to me and they're going through a difficult time and they say, would you pray for us? I do. But I don't just pray for God to fix the problem. I pray for God to show up the only way he can show up. Because then you will look back at that and it's easy to say, oh, God, just fix the problem. It's gone. Don't have to worry about it anymore. Good. Or we look back and go, but look how God showed up. Look what he did. I thought I needed this, but God showed up and gave me that. And so, you know, on this topic and this idea of, of silent nights, I, I don't, we're all probably waiting for God in some way. We're all thinking, I really want this to happen, or I would want to work towards that, or I would want God to show up in this way, or whatever. We've got things we're praying for. We've got things we want. We've got whatever it may be. How are we praying for that thing? Are we asking God to just fix the problem? We're we praying for him to show up in the only way he can show up. And are we eagerly waiting for God to do that, being faithfully obedient in the meantime? This is what God calls us to do. And when we come to Christmas, we get to celebrate the fact that he answers and keeps his promises in a way only he can. And it's on us then to say we're still waiting. Paul says it. We're still waiting for what God is going to bring to us or bring us to. But we wait and we are obedient and we are faithful knowing that we're eagerly waiting for what God has for us. I know things can be difficult depending on where you're at this time of year. And many of us feel like maybe we're in that silence and we're waiting. And I would say, look at how Simeon did it. Look at how Anna did it. Look how Mary and Joseph did it. Those days weren't always easy. But God showed up for them. He'll show up for us. But let's pray that God will do only what he can do.